0: In our Christian life, the supportive fellowship of other believers is vital, but it's essential to exercise a little caution. I'm wondering if we place undue emphasis on other people as our primary source of power and strength. In this episode, we'll take a humorous and a serious look at doing life together and quote, getting plugged in. So come on in and we'll look at what that means. Welcome to Life Repurposed. This is where midlife meets inspiration, practical guidance, and renewed purpose amid life's evolving chapters. We navigate faith questions and messy, uncertain twists with humor and a commitment to pursue treasure, even in the hard stuff. I'm your host, Michelle Rayburn, the author of books and Bible studies about finding hope in the trashy stuff of life. I recently saw a list of phrases that irritated people when their church used them. Somebody was collecting a list. I actually have done that on my own social media profiles. but This was someone else's. And I wanted to look at what two of these mean because they made me chuckle, but also made me think. Being part of a Christian community is important for getting the encouragement we need as Christians, and there are different ways that churches describe this community. We need others— as we study the Bible, apply the principles to our lives, and learn how to handle our differences in love. But the two phrases I saw on the post I mentioned are often used in church circles, and I admit I've used them too. They are, doing life together and getting plugged in. When one commentator said, quote, doing life together sounded like we're incarcerated and serving a life sentence together, I couldn't unsee it or unhear it. It was funny, but it also made me wonder what sort of hurt did they experience that made it sound that way to them? And then when someone else said they disliked the term, get plugged in because, quote, I'm not a toaster, it made me chuckle. We have a lot of expressions in Christian groups that sound silly at face value and outside of the circle, and our own experience with Christian community might leave us tender and averse to trying. Maybe the problem isn't the connection to others, but how it's been misapplied or misrepresented. Navigating issues of faith, community, and spiritual growth takes an added significance during our midlife years. In Life Repurposed, we look at how God is repurposing in this midlife time. This is a time marked by significant transitions. Maybe the kids are preparing to leave home, or they have recently left home. It's a time when we're doing some reflections on our life. I'm 10 years away from retirement, and yet I'm starting to think about you know, what would life be like when I was retired? We're maybe doing some existential questioning. If you find yourself at a crossroads in a search for deeper meaning and purpose, and it might be leading you to reevaluate your involvement in faith communities, we're going to be talking about that today. However, this journey can be full of challenges, and it can be particularly challenging if you've experienced spiritual abuse or disillusionment in the past. The longer we live on earth, the more opportunities we've had to experience challenges in church. I've found that in midlife, the desire for genuine connection and authentic relationships has become increasingly important. Yet the scars of past hurts and distrust may linger, and it can make it difficult to fully engage with others in the context of faith communities. Maybe you feel the pressures and responsibilities of life at this age, the career demands, the family obligations, and aging parents. These can further complicate the search for spiritual fulfillment and belonging. And as we wrestle with and grapple with those questions of identity, meaning, and our legacy, we may find ourselves longing for deeper connection with God and others, yet we're hesitant to fully invest in community for fear of being hurt or disappointed. Thus, the journey through midlife becomes not only a time of personal growth and self-discovery, but also a spiritual pilgrimage, a quest to find that authentic connection, to find healing and wholeness in the midst of the complexities and uncertainties. I've been exploring this too. I long for places where I feel like I can be my authentic self. I know I need community but I've also become disillusioned by some of the things that used to be so much a cornerstone of my identity. Church involvement has always been a part of my whole life, but I'm wondering if some of what I thought was vital to spiritual growth was more of an obligation than a joy-producing thing that made me fall more in love with Jesus. I wonder if it distracted me from that. I'm not quite ready to share all that I've been studying about spiritual growth because I'm letting it marinate yet and it's going into my next book, but I wanted to give you a little peek and and just use some of the things that I've been looking at as a springboard for the topic for today. Spiritual growth can be a good thing, but only when it sustains fruit. In John 15, Jesus said he is the vine and we are the branches, and we need to remain in him and produce spiritual fruit. That fruit is love. When I planted blueberries many years ago, I had some years where it grew nothing but foliage. I had a problem because the foliage looked great, the leaves were great, and there were no blueberries. And so the bottom line is that fruit matters. I planted blueberry bushes to get blueberries, not to just get bushes, just foliage. So when we think about spiritual growth, it can be that we just do a lot of religious activities and we learn a lot of scripture and we're studying the Bible and we're teaching the Bible and all of that stuff, but maybe there's not really any fruit. That head knowledge might be growth but it isn't worth anything if it doesn't transform us in some way. So as we look at these expressions of, quote, doing life together and getting plugged in, I want to look at it from the perspective of things that become part of growing spiritually, but let's remember they have a purpose of producing love. In Christian circles, the phrase doing life together typically refers to the concept of living in intentional community with fellow believers. It encompasses the idea of sharing life's joys, challenges, triumphs, and struggles in the context of a supportive and loving Christian community. Here are some key aspects of what it means to do life together in Christian circles. Fellowship and community. This involves actively engaging with other Christians, building relationships, and supporting one another spiritually, emotionally, and practically in those life things. Discipleship. It often produces the mutual pursuit of spiritual growth and maturity through activities such as studying the Bible, praying together, and holding each other accountable in living out Christian principles. Service and ministry. When we do life together, in the good way, we often work together in service and ministry and we reach out to meet the needs of other people in our community and beyond. Authenticity and vulnerability. When we are authentic and vulnerable with one another, we share the joys and the struggles of life in an atmosphere of trust and acceptance. We celebrate each other's victories and milestones, and we also provide support and encouragement during difficult times. When we are together, our lives are grounded in a shared commitment to Christ and His teachings, which provides a common foundation for our relationships and our community life. Overall, This type of being together emphasizes the importance of genuine, caring relationships within a supportive community that seeks to honor God and grow in faith together, and when we grow in faith, we produce love. When these activities become more about doing, 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 expectations, requirements, obligations, Sometimes church can feel a little bit like a life sentence that we're serving together. So I understand where that expression might have been misinterpreted, even in a humorous way, by somebody. In the name of spiritual growth, many Christians have experienced spiritual abuse. Without love and genuine care, the concept of doing life together can feel burdensome and stifling, and it resembles more of a life sentence than a blessing. Here's how the absence of love can negatively impact the experience. Without love, relationships within Christian communities may lack authenticity and depth. Instead of fostering genuine connections, interactions can feel superficial and insincere. In the absence of love, there may be a tendency toward judgment and condemnation. Instead of offering grace and understanding, individuals may feel criticized or ostracized for their shortcomings or struggles. When love is absent, individuals may feel isolated or even alone within the community. Without the support and encouragement of others, they may struggle to find a sense of belonging and acceptance. Loveless relationships can sometimes lead to manipulation and control, where individuals seek to exert power over others rather than serving them selflessly. This can create a toxic environment where trust is eroded and people feel used or manipulated. Without the love-driven pursuit of spiritual growth and maturity, the community may stagnate spiritually. Instead of lifting one another up and spurring each other toward love and good deeds, there may be a complacency or even a regression in spiritual life. Constantly engaging in community life without the foundation of love can lead to emotional exhaustion. Rather than feeling refreshed and energized by the relationships, individuals may feel drained and burned out by the demands of superficial interactions and negative dynamics. Love is essential. It's the ingredient that transforms mere existence within a community into life-giving and fulfilling relationships and a journey shared with others. It's important to recognize the signs of spiritual abuse within a Christian community because. Seeing these and knowing is crucial for maintaining healthy relationships and spiritual well being, and it also means that if you've experienced abuse, you have not truly experienced what a Christian community should be like. And so, I want to just give you a couple of red flags or key indicators to watch for because if you've experienced these, this is not true Christian community, and therefore. It's impossible to judge all Christian groups, all Christian churches by those standards if you've been in one that was spiritually abusive. Now, a couple of these are already I listed in the above things that I just talked about. But um, just to summarize, here are some of the things to watch for as red flags. One is manipulation and control. This is where leaders or members exert undue influence over others and manipulate them to conform to certain beliefs or behaviors. This can be coercive tactics, emotional blackmail, or threats of punishment for noncompliance. Another is authoritarianism. This is where leaders assert absolute authority and discourage any questioning or dissent. They may demand unquestioning obedience and punish those who challenge their decisions or teachings. Isolation is another one. This community discourages or restricts contact with outsiders or those who hold differing beliefs. This isolation can prevent individuals from seeking support or perspectives outside the group and can lead to a sense of dependency on the community for validation and belonging. Abusive situations include shaming and guilt tripping, where these tactics are used to manipulate people's behavior or adherence to the group's norms. This can lead to a cycle of low self-esteem and feelings of unworthiness. Another is exploitation, where leaders or those in positions of authority exploit their power for personal gain. It might be financial, sexual, or emotional. It's often using emotional vulnerability for control. Another is rigid doctrine. In a community like this, it enforces strict adherence to a particular set of doctrines or beliefs, and deviation from these beliefs is met with condemnation or punishment. It's rigid, and it stifles intellectual inquiry and personal spiritual growth. Also included is a lack of accountability, where leaders are not accountable for their actions, and there's no mechanism in place for addressing grievances or concerns. So this means, abuses of power go unchecked. I have a couple more. One is fear-based teaching. The community relies heavily on fear tactics, which includes threats of divine punishment or internal damnation to control behavior and maintain adherence to their teachings. Now, I know that uh, we talk about eternal punishment, and we talk about hell and heaven and things like that in our Christian communities, but this takes it a step beyond that, so I'm not even going to go into that today because that's too much to go into, but just know that it's a step beyond. Another is emotional abuse. This is where people are subjected to verbal abuse, manipulation, gaslighting, anything that undermines their sense of self-worth and autonomy. And then the last one that we see showing up in documentaries a lot more is cult-like behavior. A cult-like community displays characteristics where there's an exaltation of a charismatic leader, there's a suppression of dissent, and then an isolation of the members from outside influences. So kind of taking a lot of the things I've already mentioned up another level to a place where um, it, it's like people are so isolated, they don't even realize the problem that's going on there. It's important to know that even in healthy growth communities, there is not an absence of challenges or discomfort. So there is no such thing as a perfect church, no such thing as a perfect community to be part of. So it's important to know that when we're trying to distinguish between an abusive community and a healthy growing one, it is not one is perfect and one is not. Spiritual growth is not always comfortable, and when we are practicing how to live like Jesus, we're learning how to manage conflicts and things within a spiritual community, but it's characterized by love and compassion and mutual respect and a commitment to the well-being of all the members. The underlying tone of a healthy Christian community is loving and not manipulative. I've recently had the privilege of experiencing some interactions in my own Christian sphere that have shown just how loving and caring people can be when they respond like Jesus would and i have to say it's life-giving and it spurs me on to continue pursuing spiritual fruit and so i'm i'm actually approaching this episode from a place of having experienced something very positive over the last decade or so i i'm i'm speaking to this knowing that i'm seeing the contrast between how healthy something can be and how unhealthy something can be. And so what I'm really questioning right now is how vested have I been in staying connected to the vine, to Jesus? And how much have I looked to the church to become the life-sustaining vine instead? So I want to look at what it means to get plugged in and we're going to look at it not you're not toasters so let's think of this as referring to it as your niche finding your place in christian community But we have to remember that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, and this means the church is not the vine. The mistake I've made before when I have sought a church to be my lifeline is that I have misplaced Jesus' role there. He is supposed to be my lifeline, and the church is a place to nurture that connection with Christ, but not to replace it. So Finding your place, finding your space where you fit in might be similar to some of the things I already mentioned when I talked about um, doing life together, (laughs) but this also means becoming actively involved and engaging in various aspects of the church community. I spent a lot of my life, though, doing those things as part of wanting God to love me more in some ways, and that is not what makes God love me more, and I know that now, and so I know that some of the unhealthy things I've experienced in some church situations have also become been because my expectations were super high and I was expecting these perfect people. So I'm giving that as a little caveat because I think it's helpful to filter this through our own life experiences. So the involvement that I'm talking about typically goes beyond just attending services, and it might include participating in activities, ministries, and relationships in the church. This is what we're talking about when people say you need to get plugged in. So it might include joining a small group or a Bible study. Lots of churches have small groups, Bible studies. They call them different things. They call them life groups and all different things. But really the point is getting connected on a deeper level, maybe studying the Bible together or talking about life experiences. And joining a group like that can build relationships as you grow spiritually alongside others. You may have experienced conflicts within groups. That's normal. We're people and we're flawed and we have our own challenges. Another thing that's part of finding your place is serving together in ministry. Churches have various ministries that cater to different needs within the congregation in the community. It might be volunteering to serve in one of those, it might be in the church like a children's ministry or worship team or hospitality, or it might be outreach to the community, um, doing something at um, like serving meals or getting involved in an event in the community. Another part of being more plugged in is attending events and gatherings, and sometimes there's a lot of events and gatherings. Some churches do potlucks and picnics and retreats and conferences, and there's a worship night, and there's you know all these things happening. Each one of those is an opportunity to build relationships with people and find our place and find our community. But for me, being in the church whenever the doors were open was, again, like I said, um, also not the best spiritual growth opportunity for me, because it also was replacing some of that personal connection with Jesus. So only you know where the bright balance is, and nobody can tell you how often you need to be at the church. And like I said, there's outreach, um, homeless ministries, visiting the sick. There's, there, there's so many different things that are part of connecting inside of a church. And then the other thing that might be part of finding your place is officially becoming part of contributing financially to a church ministry and mission work. Oftentimes when you're visiting a church, you're not really part of regularly tithing or giving to the offerings in the church. And so when somebody officially says, I'm part of this community, they begin to give financially. Now, when we find our people and we find the right place, it helps us to use the gifts and talents that God has given us. So there is a real purpose for finding our place in a community of Christians. It's about becoming a vital part of the body of Christ where we're using those talents and where we're serving other people in the context of the local church, but we're using gifts that God has specifically given us, and so there's something fulfilling and uh, a lot of growth happens in doing that too. Now, if you've had a negative experience in church, you might be hesitant to embrace the idea of getting more involved. Negative experiences definitely lead to a mistrust or an aversion toward getting too vested in the church. So let's go a little bit deeper. In many Christian groups, there's a notion that active participation in church activities and frequent attendance at church services are the hallmarks of spiritual growth. People often equate busyness within the church walls with spiritual maturity and believe that the more time they spend engaged in religious duties, the closer they draw to God. That's kind of where I'm saying I have been at a lot of my life. However, while involvement in church activities has its place, a deeper understanding of spiritual growth reveals that mere busyness within the church community does not necessarily equate to genuine spiritual fruitfulness. So picture this from John 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he starts using this analogy of a vine and its branches. And this is happening right after they had supper together, and they broke bread, and then he uh, talked about, this is my body, and this is my blood, and then he was telling them what was about to happen, and and um, Judas had left the building, he was off to go and betray Jesus to the authorities, and Jesus continues talking to his disciples, and he starts using this analogy. And he's basically saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you stay connected to me, you'll bear a lot of fruit. But if you try to go it alone, you won't get very far. And he's emphasizing this importance of staying close to him, like branches staying connected to the vine to get all the nutrients they need to grow and produce fruit. Now let's talk about those spiritual practices we often hear about, prayer, reading the Bible, spending time with God. These things are super important, don't get me wrong, but here's the thing. They're not just items to check off a to-do list. Imagine prayer as chatting with God and pouring our hearts out to Him and listening for His voice in return. So we're talking, but we're also listening. Reading the Bible becomes an adventure of discovering new truths about who God is and how much He loves us, and spending time with the Holy Spirit is like having a constant companion guiding us, empowering us, and reminding us of God's truth and love. But here's the kicker. We can't approach these practices with a sense of duty or obligation, because that's like going through the motions without really engaging our hearts. Instead, we're invited to approach them with delight and a sense of awe at the privilege of knowing and being known by the creator of the universe. When we delight in abiding in or remaining in Christ, when we find joy in staying connected to him, something beautiful happens. We start to bear fruit, not because we're trying so hard or because we feel like we have to, but because his love naturally overflows from us. We become more patient, more kind, more loving, the kind of people who make the world a better place just by being ourselves. The imagery of the vine and the branches in John 15 underscores the centrality of the closeness with Christ as the foundation of Genuine spiritual life and growth. It redirects our attention from a performance based approach and it moves to the vital importance of remaining in Christ. This challenges the prevailing mindset that equates spiritual maturity with external activity and performance. Instead, it invites us to examine the condition of our hearts and the quality of our relationships, not just within the church community, but in every sphere of life. Jesus' call to bear fruit emphasizes the organic and gradual nature of spiritual growth. Just as fruit takes time to ripen and mature, it also takes time for the fruit of the Spirit to develop gradually in the life of a believer. It requires patience and perseverance and a willingness to allow the Holy Spirit to work within us and transform our hearts and minds to reflect the image of Christ. But Jesus told his disciples to remain He didn't give a to-do list with a bunch of tasks. He said, stay. Despite how much we need other Christians, our first task is to stay. I've heard it explained in so many ways over the years. When someone takes a first step of faith, which is believing, we often want to give them to-do lists. Sign up here. Do this thing. Read this thing. Find a spot where you're going to read your Bible. You have to do this. You have to do that. But in John 15, Jesus told his disciples that life was about to get really difficult and he wanted them to remain. He was about to leave, but he would still be their vine. Ironically, now the toaster illustration starts to make sense. Only instead of plugging into performance, we plug into the vine that sustains us with life-giving power. And the idea of doing life together becomes a whole bunch of branches all clinging to one vine. Maybe you've been hurt by someone who claims to represent Jesus, or perhaps you felt wary of people's motives in the church. It happens, and it can leave some pretty deep scars. But here's the thing. Just because we've been hurt or let down by people doesn't mean we have to give up on Jesus altogether. In fact, it's often in those moments of pain and brokenness that we can find deeper, truer connection with him. He knows what it's like to be hurt. He's the source of life, the source of strength for us. And when we stay connected to him, amazing things happen. And you know, we're not meant to do this alone. We're meant to be part of a community. A community of people who are also clinging to Jesus as their vine. Now, I get it. Trusting people again after you've been hurt can feel like a huge leap of faith. But here's the beautiful thing about finding a true connection with Jesus and others who are walking the same journey. When you find your place, it's a place where you can be yourself, scars and all, and still be accepted and loved for who you are. Finding this kind of community isn't always easy, but it's worth it. It's worth the risk of putting yourself out there, of opening up your heart to others who are also broken and flawed, just like you. When you find a group of people who are all clinging to Jesus as their vine, something amazing happens. You start to see his love shining through them, despite their imperfections. You start to experience grace and forgiveness in ways you never thought possible. And you start to realize that you're not alone that there are others out there who understand what you've been through and who are walking alongside you, cheering you on every step of the way. Your community may be small. It may be you and one friend. It may be you and a couple of friends, or you and your spouse and your family, or you and a big group of church people. Wherever that group is, when you realize you're not alone, you can start to say things and express things and tell people how it's going. You can tell people what it feels like to remain in Jesus despite the hurts and the things you've been through. You can talk about the rough time that you've had and and the way fruit is just not coming right now. If you've been hurt by spiritual abuse or if you're struggling to trust people in the church, I want to encourage you, don't give up hope. Jesus is still here, still loving you, still longing to connect with you in a real and meaningful way. And there are others out there who are longing for that same kind of connection, even if you haven't found them yet. So take a leap of faith. Reach out to someone and see what happens. You just might find that true connection you've been searching for all along. Navigating the complexities of Christian community, spiritual growth, and the potential pitfalls of relying on human institutions or individuals requires a delicate balance. You are definitely not a toaster, but you are a branch. While the fellowship and support of fellow believers are invaluable on our journey, our ultimate dependence must always be on Jesus Christ, the true vine from whom all spiritual life and power flow. By abiding in Him, cultivating a deep and personal relationship, and allowing His love to transform us, we can navigate the challenges of even spiritual abuse, distrust, disillusionment. Finding genuine connection, growth, and fruitfulness in Him and in the community of believers who walk alongside us is beautiful, and out of it will come the fruit of love. And so today I hope that you find that community. I've been working on finding that community for a while and gradually I'm making connections and I love it. I love it when I meet people who are willing to have open dialogue and discussions about where we are in our journey. And together we kind of question the things that we've always believed. The things that we find out are just things that We're part of man-made religion. And as we dig into scripture, we see these passages like John 15, where we see what it's like to just simplify it down, take away all the lists and all the rules, and we simplify it down into this one little message from Jesus, where he says, remain in me and produce love. We can do that. Let's remain in him this week. As we go about our week, having those conversations with him in our everyday life, just having that awareness that he is there in every moment. Thanks for listening to Life Repurposed. Would you like more? Check out the Life Repurposed magazine on Substack and get resources, weekly musings, and conversations with others. Just go to liferepurposed.me.